before anything we know as the world was, you were there, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. You have always been, you are all, and you will always be. But now as we look to your word, to hear from you, to know the Son a little better, and in knowing him a little better, to be a little closer, a little stronger, more encouraged, more chastened, um, more directed, more corrected, whatever it is that we need from you, God. We ask that your Holy Spirit would use these words. Speak through these words. Change us, renew us, revive us, save us. We pray this all, Father, through the Son, through the name of the Son, Jesus Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit. I'd like you to turn with me to the book of John. Um, now, some of you may be thinking, we are four weeks in, and he has covered exactly 13 verses. How long is this going to take? Um, well, first of all, the first, the first chapter of John uh, requires a lot of in-depth study. You can't, you can't just breeze over the first chapter of John. There is a lot packed into uh, this. Now, I will tell you, as we've been going through this, um, I, I will tell you that I, I, I strongly suspect, although I cannot confirm it, I strongly suspect that passages like the opening verses of John were intended to be sung by the church. Um, John strikes me as a singer. Uh, he strikes me as a guy who likes when phrases and ideas kind of fit together, um, when there's a certain uh, cohesion and, and, and strength the way that he writes things. Um, and, uh, and so I suspect that this was supposed to be sung. And everybody goes, well, there's, where's the verse, the chorus, the tag, um, the bridge? Um, Midi- Middle Eastern music doesn't work like that. Um, if you've ever had an opportunity to be a part of a synagogue where there's a cantor singing um, the Old Testament, singing the scriptures, you'll realize that verse, chorus, and bridge, and all those things that we think is music, um, the rest of the world doesn't quite operate that way. Um, and it's not that either one is, is good or bad. But today we're going to be at the tail end of that song, um, that, that passage, where John has talked so much about Jesus without ever saying his name, calling him the word, calling him the truth, calling him the light. Um, and now he's going to kind of wrap things up. Um, and, uh, and so we're going to start in verse 14. We're just going to read to verse, uh, verse 18. In verse 14, the word, speaking of Jesus, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. We have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Now I'm going to invite you to do something we don't always do, which is I'm going to invite you to read with me um, this, this line, we have seen his glory, glory as of the... So I want to invite you from your, from your scriptures um, to read it together. I'm going to come again when we get to, and we have seen his glory, to read it aloud with me. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, 
full of grace and truth. Now John gets a little parenthetical note here in verse 15. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. But then in verse 16, he picks up his argument again. Uh, The author picks it up and he says, For from his fullness... We have all received grace upon grace. And I'm going to ask you to read that with that verse with me together. For from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at his father's side. He has made him known. John uh, brings up this topic of grace. Um, and, and Mike and I didn't plan this at all, but the word gift that he, he mentioned um, during, during his devotion about the Lord's table derives from the same root as the word grace. It really comes from grace. The idea of a gift is someone giving something to you, uh, something, someone passing along to you something you didn't have before and didn't deserve. Um, if I'm giving you something you deserve, it's not a gift, it's wages. All right? Um, if, if, you know, your boss doesn't say to you every week, I am gifting you this income. All right. You've earned that income. In fact, you've owed, you're, you're owed that income. But when it's a gift, a gift is not something I earned. It's something that's simply given because of the nature of the person, uh, who is giving it. But we tend to think of grace uh, often as what we receive from God. We, are, we say it all the time, I'm saved by grace, by God's grace. We, we tend to think about what is what the benefit of grace as the definition of grace. Uh, and people often, you know, what is grace? Well, grace is, is um, mercy is not receiving what I do deserve. Grace is receiving what I don't deserve. This is a very uh, common uh, description of it. But that's not actually the meaning of grace. It's, it's, it doesn't speak to the cause, doesn't speak to the power behind the grace. And what's extraordinary is how John packs so much into these couple of verses. And I, I literally could probably roll these verses into eight or nine sermons um, because he has stuck, so, I'm not going to, but he has stuck so much into this passage. Um, He uses the word grace uh, three times. Watch. He says in verse 14, he says that Jesus was full of grace and truth. Right? Then he says, uh, we have received, in verse 16, we have received uh, from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. And then in verse 17, he says, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Now, we we looked at one perspective of these verses, but I'm going to get to a different one here because I want us to think about grace. I want to set the the stage here. Let's think about grace and to remove ourselves from the equation. Let's not define it by what we, our perspective, but as John tries to do it, he's trying to explain to us grace from God's perspective. Now, John describes it this way in verse 16. He says, for from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. 
Now, this is an interesting way of describing this. Um, what did, oh, all you Bible scholars in the midst of us, what did John do for a living before he became one of Jesus' disciples? What did he and his brother and his cousins do? They were fishermen. Where were they fishermen? Right, the Sea of Galilee. All right? um, the Sea of Galilee. Uh, one of the interesting things about the Sea of Galilee, because, or Knesseret, as it, as the, is where it is. Um, the Sea of Galilee is in a weird uh, weather position. Um, it's actually, it's, it, it's fascinating. There's fascinating things about the Sea of Galilee. One of them is that because of the way the, the Mediterranean is and the way that the Indian Ocean is, the Sea of Galilee is actually on the migration route of almost all migratory birds that live in Africa and Asia and Europe. For some reason, they all fly over the Sea of Galilee. Um, now, that's got to make for... Um, interesting walks outdoors during migrations but um but there so you can see just about every kind of bird from the from the eurasian african continents at some point or another they fly over if they're migratory they fly over the sea of galilee um and a lot of that has to do with the way the water is arranged and why the mountains are and everything um and what happens on the sea of galilee is the sea of galilee although it is a freshwater lake and it is not very big it's not an enormous it's not like you know, Lake Michigan or, or any of the Great Lakes. It's not this huge thing. And yet the Sea of Galilee has this unbelievably unpredictable weather. And that's why in the scriptures you often see, uh, you know, the disciples seem to always be in a boat that's not going anywhere and is about to sink. And Jesus has to keep rescuing them. They're, they're always doing this. And how good fishermen could they possibly be? They keep getting stuck in the lake that they grew up fishing in. Um, but then I remember that I know some fishermen and it's not unlikely. Um, so, but, they, but these guys, they are, they're fishermen. And one of the things that happens when you're a fisherman is you know how waves work. Now, how many of you have ever heard of the three sisters? You ever heard this phrase? The three sisters is, 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 a, is an argument, kind of an old sailor thing. I learned it from Charlie Horton, who was an old World War II sailor. The three sisters is that waves, big waves, travel in threes. You get hit. You get hit, you get hit. Uh, and then you have a second, and then it's going to happen again. You're going to get hit, you're going to get hit. Gonna get, and so if you're in a boat that's rolling because suddenly the waves have, have started to hit you, you know there's a period you can kind of time. These fishermen get used to being able to time so that they can turn the ship in such a way to catch those waves and not get rolled over by them. Um, you know, if you really need a frame of reference, the best place to go is the Pirates of the Caribbean movies. Those are very historically accurate. That that was sarcasm, in case you were wondering. Um, but there there's a lot going on, and I, and I I I happen to have grown up reading all these these books about sailing vessels. You know, the Jack London books. You know, Sea Wolf and uh, Master and Commander, and and that whole. I just I I don't know what 90% of the words are, but they just sound so so cool. They're like raise the mizzen. You have no idea what they're talking about. You know, and it, all the names make no sense. You know, they're, they're they're all these crazy terms for all the parts of the boat. But it just was a cool um, way to read. Well, these these fishermen. When John says grace upon grace, that from his fullness, he's saying grace upon grace, he's saying he's getting that sense of a wave, that it's just not grace, it's grace upon grace. It's that lapping of the, of the waves, that, that Jesus' fullness just hits us with grace over and over and over again. 
Um, like, like being on the shore and just letting those waves hit you. That it's not God gives us grace once and then we have a reserve of grace that we have to live in and hope that we don't use it up. But rather that God, Jesus in his fullness, just sends and radiates grace to us. Now that's a good thing. Because I've got to be honest, if God just is like, okay, you get 46 grace units don't use them up because after you're done, you know, it, you're out. You've got to overdraft charges and all kinds of stuff. But rather that he, by his character, Jesus radiates grace from the fullness of who he is. Grace radiates out to us. Let me, let me give you kind of a really kind of sloppy definition of grace. Grace is what happens when Jesus enters the room. Grace is what happens when Jesus enters the room. Now you could describe the room however you want to describe it. You could describe it as your life. You could talk about your relationships. You could talk about a church service. You could talk about whatever you want to talk about. But grace is what happens when Jesus enters the room. In John's gospel, we see grace radiating from Jesus in all kinds of crazy ways. Sometimes we see his grace in healing and transformation. Now let me ask you a question without you guys looking at your Bibles or anything like that. Give me your best guess on how many times Jesus heals people in the gospel of John. Give me your best guess. 20. Somebody else? All of them. (laughs) Thank you, D. Jesus only heals three people in the Gospel of John. Three people. Uh, The synagogue official's son, the man at Bethesda, the paralyzed man at Bethesda, the pool of Bethesda, and a man who was born blind. Now we could say four. He raises Lazarus from the dead, so I guess that's a healing. Um, But uh, I figure he was dead, so it's a little bit more than a healing. Um, Jesus, and and most people don't realize that the Gospel of John, the only like the first like seven or eight chapters actually deal with his life before he goes to Jerusalem at the end of his life. Everything else is his path to, uh, to being crucified and, and his resurrection. It, 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 there's actually a very small part of John that deals with things out of... There's only three times that he heals people. Um, and, and I think that's on purpose. I think John, John doesn't want us to be focused on that. Now, he does other miracles, right? He, he turns water into wine. Um, he, he, uh, he, 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 does, uh, he walks on water. He feeds the 5,000. That's not a healing unless you're really, really hungry. Um, you, know, he, you know, he does other miracles in the Gospel of John. But John, very specifically, he kind of holds back that kind of stuff. Um, the other Gospel writers that already described it, John's Gospel is much later. Um, but he only heals three people. But sometimes grace comes in the shape of healing. Sometimes. Sometimes grace comes in the form of judgment and conviction. We don't like to think about that as grace. Um, But sometimes when somebody comes to Jesus, the grace that is radiating off of Jesus is a correction. It's 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 a rebuke. Because 
If you're wrong, all right, if you're wrong and I want to be gracious to you, should I let you continue to be wrong? You are about to get on your bike and drive down the road and I know that the bridge is out and you go, I'm so excited to ride my motorcycle. I am so, I am ready to go. I say, I am so happy for you too. Go, enjoy it, ride fast. And I know the bridge is out. That's not gracious. That's cruel. Sometimes Jesus' grace took the shape of correction, judgment and correction. Sometimes with Jesus, grace is just a conversation. The Samaritan woman, Nicodemus. I love the, the story of Nicodemus. Uh, John chapter 3. If you've never read this story, read this story with your brain wide open as to what's going on here. Jesus is up on the roof of a house. He's just relaxing after a long day. And Nicodemus, one of the leaders of the Pharisees, a, a, a key teacher, doesn't want to be seen talking to Jesus where there's crowds and stuff. So he arranges, slips some money to somebody maybe, to come up the back steps and have a conversation with Jesus at night. And he has to ask Jesus some questions. He asks Jesus whether he's the Messiah. And Jesus gives these answers about the wind. All right? He, and Jesus says mysteriously things like, you have to be born again. And Nicodemus is like, well, could somebody crawl into the womb of their mother? And I, I, if you read John 3, Jesus says, you must be born again. And Nicodemus says, could a man climb into the, his mother's womb and be born again? And I just picture Jesus kind of reclined on a, on a couch, turning and going... Really? That's where we're going to go with this? All right. Are you not a teacher of Israel, he says to him. He goes, Are you, you cannot possibly be that dense. You know what I was talking about. And Jesus talks about how you have to be reborn, the water and the wind. He, he, and he takes him through this whole conversation. Sometimes it's just a conversation. We, by the way, don't know how that conversation ends. Nicodemus and Jesus have a couple of, of things. They talk about it. Then Jesus says some stuff. Then John comments on what Jesus says. And then apparently it's over. You know, now we know some stuff about Nicodemus later, but that's all that he records. Uh, Jesus talks to the woman, the, the, uh, the, the woman at the well, the, the Samaritan woman. He just has a conversation with her. Sometimes grace with Jesus is just a conversation. You know what's extraordinary as well? And, and this, is, this was the, the part that kind of hit me. Sometimes Jesus' grace is just silence. There's a story in the book of John, John chapter 8, where um, a group of religious nutjobs, and that's exactly what I'm calling them, and I'm not apologizing for it, drag a woman that they caught in adultery, and everybody asks the question, what's the number one question everybody asks about this when they drag this woman in front of Jesus? Where's the man? Right? Probably one of the guys dragging her. He, she did it to me. She sucked me in. I, temptress, temptress, Jezebel, Jezebel. Oh, well, he's our buddy. You know, we're not going to talk about him. We'll just drag her in front. They drag this woman in front of Jesus and they say, Jesus, you need to judge this situation. And what does Jesus do? He bends down. He starts doodling in the sand. And everybody wants to know, what is he doodling? Is Jesus writing the names of the people that knew that she was committing adultery? Maybe. Is Jesus just doing what Donald does during sermons and just 
He's just filling in spots. He's like, oh, look, there's a rock, you know. Uh, is Jesus writing, you know. Now, there's a lot that's going on there. John is, is, is connecting Jesus to moments when God writes with his hand. When God, when God uh, inscribes the Ten Commandment tablets. When God writes in the book of Daniel, many, many tekel ufar sin, your kingdom has been measured and found wanting. There's, there's definite connections that are being made, but the primary thing that Jesus is doing is he's just creating a space where everyone gets a chance to think about their involvement in this situation. And the, the men who are accusing just start drifting away. And then Jesus stands up and he talks to the woman. And I have a feeling if he had asked this woman this question, the question that he asks her at the beginning, she would not have answered the way she did. But he gives her silence. He gives her a moment. And then he says to her, he says, where are those who have accused you? And she says, I don't know. He says, well, just go forward and don't sin anymore. He says, don't do this anymore. She's confronted Jesus. Jesus transforms her life. That's grace radiating off of Jesus. Grace is what happens when Jesus enters the room. How many of you have ever gotten a piece, a piece of advice from two different people? And the first, time, first person that gave it to you, it was like, oh, well, you know, that's your advice. And then the second time, for some reason, that second person says exactly the same thing, and it hits you. You're just like, oh, man, that, wow. You know what that is? It's grace. It's Jesus entering the room. It's Jesus saying, you need to hear this. You need to be transformed by this. You need to be healed by this. You need to be confronted by this. You need to talk about this. Sometimes, sometimes we, we can have moments in our life that, are, that should be full of grace and aren't. And then other times we have moments that are not full of grace and are. Let me tell you the most bizarre moment when I experienced the grace of God. Are you ready for this? This is not going to make any sense because it involves Ricky Gervais. Yeah. Wow, where are we going with this? There is a show that Ricky Gervais wrote and produced called Derek. If you've never seen this show, um, don't go out of your way to watch it, um, but it is about a, a mentally impaired man, um, just mildly uh, cognitively a little different. Um, mentally impaired is not even the right word. He's cognitively different. That's a better way to describe him. Because Derek is actually very smart. He just isn't people smart. And he works works at a elder care home in Britain. And he just loves everybody, and everybody loves Derek. And he's always encouraging, and he's always bringing people little gifts, and he's always trying to, and he's playing board games with the old people. And there's two seasons of this show. And I watch it, and it's, you know, it's Ricky Gervais, so it's awkward. There, sometimes it goes too far. There's some cringy stuff. You're like, oh, man. But he's such a great writer. I'm like, I'm going to give this guy a chance. I want to see where he goes. Uh, not very funny, but he's a great writer. Um, and and, and he's, unless he's making fun of Hollywood, then he's hilarious. Um, but, but the, then about three, and I don't want to ruin the show for you, about, about, about three quarters of the way through the second season, he has developed this deep, abiding relationship with a dog and they have to put the dog down. 
I'm tearing up now just thinking about it. I've watched this show four times. It happens every single time I watch it. When they get to that moment and that dog is on the table and Derek is crying, I am dying. I mean, just. Because Derek's devotion to that dog For some reason, it touches something in me about the grace of Christ. The love he has. Now, you get through all that, and then a guy who doesn't like Derek for the whole show makes a dog, like a homemade dog of a bunch of assorted parts for Derek. And I'm just like, oh, oh, oh. How can Ricky Gervais, who's an an outspoken atheist, know about grace so well? And all I know is, man, that that to me, that's a moment of grace. You could talk to me all you want. I could talk to you doctrinally about the love that God has for us, his devotion for us, his his commitment to us, his his willingness and desire to love us. But, you know, I could talk and not not break a tear. But, man, I see that moment and I I just melt. Grace is what happens, and it doesn't matter where you are, when Jesus enters the room. It's not just emotion. It's not just truth. It's not just reality. It's just Jesus' presence in the moment. Now, in the last part of this passage, very quickly, Jesus or John draws a parallel between... Jesus' presence and the giving of the law on Sinai. And I just want to give it to you, and you can process it for this week. You don't have to like, I'm not going to give you all kinds of stuff. He says, in verse 17, he says, The law was given through Moses, and grace and truth came through Jesus. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. John makes a parallel between the giving of the law at Sinai and the incarnation of Jesus. Think about it this way. Just take this and process it. Think about it. At Sinai, Moses had to go up to God to get the law. But in Jesus, God came down to man to show us grace. At Sinai, the people had to journey into the wilderness... But Jesus came to us. And not only did he come to us, he meets us on our journey. Bedford Road, we say that our job is to create environments where people encounter Jesus and journey together. To let people meet Jesus. To open the door and create opportunities for people to meet him because he comes. He didn't have to come. He didn't have to come. We said last week, there is nothing about you that is worthy of the grace that Jesus pours out upon us. The law was dictated and delivered as commandments in stone. But grace is in flesh and relationship and conversation. And rather than stone, he gives us the broken imperfection of the church to be a part of what he's doing. The law is impersonal. 
given by a God that men were not allowed to see. The grace is relationship started by the one who is called Emmanuel, God with us. The truth is no different. The grace is no different. What is different is how the grace is revealed to us. And the law was but a shadow of the one who is coming. And he has come. There is no way to convince a person that Jesus is worthy of following him. I could make all kinds of scientific and apologetic arguments. But when Jesus enters a room, when he comes into your life, there's no way to deny it. You can fight it. You can resist it. I'm very good at that. But ultimately, it's about what he's doing in your life. We get to choose in our encounter with Jesus we choose whether we will allow His grace and presence in the world to transform us, to change us. We get to choose whether we will enter into a conversation with the Almighty that will reverberate in eternity or if we will instead choose to live by our own reason, by our own laws, by our own beliefs, We get to choose whether we are willing to say that God came for us, to love us, to save us, to say, I'm waiting for God. I want him to prove himself to me. I want more. We can choose grace. We can choose Jesus. Or we can choose ourselves. Would you join me in a word of prayer? Holy Spirit, you know that you know our hearts. You know where we all are. I can't know. No one in this room can know. If there are those among us today, worshiping with us, asking questions, journeying toward Christ, we pray that your grace would be revealed to them through the lives, the hearts, the hopes of the people, through the word of Scripture. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would speak to them as you call them to yourself, and they would hear and receive and make a commitment to you today to be your person, your follower, your disciple, to make the commitment today that yes, they would be, yes, I will be a follower of Christ. Yes, I will receive grace upon grace. I want to walk this walk with Christ. For those of us who have been followers of Christ for years and years, help us to know your grace, to be sensitive to the moments when you walk in the room, when you walk along the shore, 
when you kneel in the dust to write, when you touch the eyes of the blind, when you speak the truth, help us to know it is you. May we all go from this place knowing you. Holy Spirit, knowing you. Father, knowing you. Jesus, Son and Savior and Lord. We pray all of this in Jesus' name.